What's up, guys? I told y'all we're back. This is uh, week number two in a row. Hope y'all are proud of me. Hopefully, I'm I'm rebuilding some bridges that I burned by not posting a podcast for like four or five months. But we're back. We're really excited. Like I said last time, we got some really cool stuff in the pipes that we'll be dropping and announcing soon. Uh, that I think that everybody will be excited about. But uh, I've got my buddy Cameron here today. We're gonna sit and talk about sight fishing, and we're gonna talk a lot about his his. He's gotten over the past. Five, six years. years. Yeah. yeah, you've gotten really into fly tying. Yeah. To, at first to a point of like, you know, really loving it as a hobby, but now growing it to the point of, you know, your flies are perfect. Like, uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if they're perfect, but. I think they're perfect if you can consistently tie the same fly over and over. Yeah, yeah. That, you know I know definitely I mean? feel like I've gotten to that point. But, I mean, for the longest time, I would probably started tying flies. Honestly, probably tied flies with you. For the first time, maybe seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And um, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, this is so hard. And I'm never going to get this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over the years, I, I would tie here and there and buy materials and use them all up. And, you know, um, make a few flies that would work. But there's so much experimentation in, in fly tying. Um that it just took me a while to, to get to the point where I felt like pretty confident in it. For sure. And then probably two years ago, something happened. I don't know. I was just, um, was that my, I, I, I guess I just bought a house and I kind of had like a, a, a place where I could do it consistently. And I just got in the habit of, you know, tying three to five flies a night. Yeah. And over a couple of years, that makes a, Makes a big difference. It makes for a big sure. difference. Another good fly tire friend of mine, Adam. Like he, he ties every morning. He yeah. gets up and goes downstairs, a cup of coffee. He'll get up two hours before a trip, and a lot of it has my dog is over there in the corner trying to eat a cockroach and play with it. <laughs> but a lot of it, and that's not in my house. That is in in the garage, the shop, if you will. I don't have cockroaches running around my house. <laughs> well, some days I do, but um, every morning he ties you know three to five flies, and he has for the last. 20 years of guiding. Yeah, and I mean, I remember seeing, um, I, I fished with him in Florida like probably six years ago, and we met at his house, and I walked into uh, one of his rooms, I guess his fly tying room. He has more fly tying materials than I've ever seen anywhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the wall space of like a, let's say a 12 by 15 bedroom, if you will, right. like the whole entire wall covered with fly tying material in boxes, not just yep. like one piece. Like he's got, I mean, it's got to be twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of fly tying material. Yeah, and it's immaculately organized. It is. Um, it is. Which makes fly tying, I've learned the hard way, a lot easier. A lot if easier. You keep, if you keep your stuff, your materials really organized, it becomes a little less frustrating when you're like, man, I knew I had these rubber silly legs somewhere and right. you know they're like mixed in with the craft fur somewhere um so the organization is definitely key if you uh if you plan on getting better at it i guess yeah i feel like that's that's so important even with fishing like the time that it takes to if you know exactly where the swim bait that you want is yeah. you go in there you pull it out it's not like oh where's that i know i've got one of those like know what you want know what you need and that you fish and and have it where you where where you I can't talk and have it exactly <laughs> where you, where you know it is. Yeah, same thing right. with the fly tying. That's right. So, um, I've been fishing a lot of your flies. They're really good. And it, it, is there a pattern that you've come up with that you feel like is your favorite for sight fishing redfish? Oh man, um, it's kind of hard to say because 
I feel like a lot of the new patterns, if you will, that I've made in the last year, um, I need to do a better job of making like 20 of them and just giving them out to people and saying, hey, let me know how this works. Um, because, you know, I don't get to fish my flies every single day, and a lot of times I have fly anglers that might not be, you know, they might get good shots but don't get the fly where it needs to be. So it's right. kind of hard to tell. When you when you can give it to someone who is a good fly angler and you know that they're going to get the the fly where it needs to be, that's kind of the, the best test in, in my case. Um, but, yeah, I do have one that I think has, has worked really well. Uh, I've gotten good responses from you on it, uh, gotten good responses from Jeff on it. Um, What's its name? <laughs> Thunderpants? No. Yeah. It's called the Snot Rocket. The Snot Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like an olive fly that's like a lot of, I would say, most of the redfish patterns I tie is a little bit of a mix between like it could be a bait fish, it could be a crustacean, you know, it's just right. kind of like a marsh bug. I feel like guiding you get asked that question so often when you tie flying, like, what does this imitate? And I'm always like, you know, crabish, shrimpish bait <laughs> yeah. fish. Like it, yeah. with redfish, it's it's it is important what it is, but the most important part is where it is. Yeah. And then 100%. in a fly, you know, you're sight fishing, you're in shallow water for redfish, and a lot of times there aren't a lot of oysters, so weedless, you know, hook riding up. Same with, you know, a swim bait or anything you're going to throw on a spinning rod. One of the most important things is something you are the most confident that it's not going to snag on the bottom. Because so many times I've seen it, I know you've seen it as well, where you make that cast, those fish are waking down the bank, you know, you go to strip it or you go to twitch twitch and there's hung on an oyster, you know? Yeah. Oh, God. That happened to me. What what is your, as far as flies go, what have you found to be the best setup for a weed guard for grass and oysters? Yeah, um, that's a good question because that took a lot of experimentation um, and a lot of just kind of learning on YouTube and seeing what other people did. Um, my favorite is what you would call a forward loop weed guard. Okay. And it's it's essentially like a double post at the front, but you just don't clip it. Gotcha. So it's just a, it's a continuous loop. A little more strength that way, you think? A little more strength, and but I think the most important piece of it is the type of line that you use Um, just because you want something that's stiff uh, but not something that's going to prevent you know a fish from getting pinned for sure where do you like that weed guard to stop and in relation to like the gap in your hook do you like it to be above the 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 hook you know where where it bends up or another really good question Um, what I do is I will I'll cut a piece of uh, so what I use is Mason's hard mono okay or hard type nylon is what they call it, and it's thirty pound, and I use that for pretty much every. Is rip, that something you can find in a tackle fly. shop, or is that yeah. like a fly tying? You can find it in a tackle shop. Okay. Yep, uh, for the most part, and um, it, essentially, it's just when you're tying it on, you cut a you know a three or four inch piece off, you crimp one end, or you you flatten one end into kind of like a shoe shape, and you tie it tie it in, and then you bend it around to make the forward loop and then you cut off how much how much is left or the excess to where to the point where when you bend that mono back it's not hitting the hook point okay so i like to do it as close to touching the hook point as possible just because the more weed guard you have the more weedless is going to be yeah um but what you, what, what you don't want to do is 
have a weed guard that when you push it back, it's falling on top of the on, on top of the hook point. So if a fish bites it, I mean, more than likely, I would say it, it will probably push that weed guard over the hook point and probably get hooked. But just for you know peace of mind, I liked it to have a little bit of clearance from the hook point. For sure. Um, have you ever messed around with tying weed guards onto like jig hooks? Like for not for flies, but for for swim baits or soft plastic? I haven't. Um, and it's something I'd I'd love to start doing a little bit more, especially for like for uh, flood tide fishing. Yeah. If someone's not fly fishing. I just don't. I think there's good weed guards out there on jig hooks, but sometimes I, f- I just kind of feel like the the mono weed guard might be a little better because only reason I say that is because a lot of the times that we guard on uh on jig hooks is like over top of the hook point yeah. and they have to like push down past that we guard to in order to get to the hook um which you know I, I don't think I've experimented it with it enough to say yes this that definitely hinders your hookup ratio right but I do think it's worth exploring for sure so one thing I, I meant to talk to you about this the other day, but it's a fly that you should tie and design. Adam did a couple of these in Louisiana, never like a specific fly, but you can buy little golden props. Have you seen those? Mm-mm. So it's essentially like a little small little prop and you can, we played around with a few different ways to rig it up, but essentially if you put that on the hook shank, mm-hmm. um, so many times you'd get a bad cast to a redfish and you'd strip that thing. It'd be like eight feet away from it, and you would watch those redfish spin around from far away because they heard that prop underwater to come for it. So doing some type of prop bait or so prop like fly, a, yeah, like a prop bait. Yeah, yeah it would, but it's a you know subsurface, and that yeah. that prop spins. Well, I had fish, you know, like you're stripping it out of the water, you don't even realize there's a fish around, and they come dumping out of like three feet of water coming up to the surface to come chase the fly down. Yeah, that's uh. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's a it's a cool little, and I've never seen like a commercial fly or anything like that with a yeah, prop on it. So, yeah. um, the the other I guess material or or flies that I've been liking um, tying recently is st- stuff with rabbit zonker. Rabbit zonker. I like it swims it, so good. It swims so good, but I avoided it for so long because the the uh, the like leather part on it is so floaty. Oh yeah, that like you really have to kind of weigh it down for sure in order for it to swim properly, um, and so I struggled with that for a little bit. But I'm definitely I'm all in on the rabbit hunker now. Just it looks so good. It in looks the water. so good in the water. Have you found a trick for keeping it from wrapping the hook? Because that's the one thing I don't like about rabbit is a lot of times like you'll yeah. be casting and that that piece will fold over around the hook, man. Yeah, I well I've kind of been messing around with that. Um, my current fix right now is. Before you tie anything on to the hook that you're going to tie your fly on, you tie a piece of mono on, and then you pierce about half. So if you're using rabbit zonker as, like, the tail, uh-huh. you uh, pierce a hole through the middle of that rabbit zonker. After you've, so the mono's already on there. You're tying in the rabbit zonker. You pierce a hole in the middle, and you feed that mono through the middle of that rabbit zonker, and then you just bend it back around and then tie it back into the hook. Oh, gotcha. Um that's one way to do it. Just it just stiffens that first little bit of it. It just stiffens unfolds. that first little yeah. bit. And it really doesn't give up, I wouldn't say, too much movement yeah. of the fly just because it uh that, that rabbit fur just flows so well. Yeah. But I will say I, I don't think it gives it like the full range of motion that it would normally have. I but. feel I feel like with a redfish with a, with any type of artificial 
lure you're throwing or fly, what you want when sight fishing or really anything is the maximum amount of movement from that bait in the shortest amount of distance coming back to the boat. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're getting a lot of movement out of that rabbit barely. I mean, you can let a piece of rabbit sit on the bottom and, the, and it, it's moving, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's why, why it's such a good bait. Cause I always tell people, you know, if, if the baits already or the fly or the swim bait or the jig or whatever is already, you know, if it's being moved very quickly back to you, a lot of times the redfish will give up on it. Yep. You want that, you know, little bit of movement, but keeping it in that bite zone. Mm-hmm. So materials or, or I think that's why Z-Man's so effective too, because it's got that buoyant tail that even if it's mm-hmm. sitting there, it's kind of wiggling in the water a little bit. Might might be the, the key to getting some of those bites. Yep. Just making it look alive. Make it look alive. For as long as possible. <laughs> so uh, we can kind of, I, I guess, jump into the whole sight fishing side of things. And one thing that I always tell clients, you know, especially clients that I've had for a while, like my, my, my really good buddy Paul who fishes with me a bunch, he's become pretty, you know, effective on a spin rod. And, and he's, he's getting to the point that he wants to start fly fishing. And I really do think if you're dialed in on a fly rod, it is a better tool for sight fishing, for the ability to be able to pick a, pick a fly up and play it, replace. So you don't have to reel all the way in, open your bail, yeah. cast again. Um, it's a, just a quick way to move a bait or, 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 re-appro- or recast to a fish, you know. So um, when sight fishing on a fly rod, are there – I don't even know. I, I had a question in my head, and now I already forgot it. But <laughs> what, what do you feel like are some other advantages potentially of – what are the advantages and drawbacks of both the fly rod and a spin rod or bait caster in, in, in the world of sight fishing, in your opinion? Yeah, that, that's a, it's an interesting topic. Very big question. It is an interesting topic because it so much of it comes down to your proficiency in one or the other. Um, but, it, you know, assuming that your question is you have someone that's really good at spin fishing it and the same guy is – or same gal is really good at fly fishing too. Um, I think some of the advantages of a of a fly rod is that one, it's generally your flies are going to land a lot softer than like a jig head. Yeah. Um, so you can get get the shot a little bit closer for sure, um, and not spook fish, especially if it's you know let's say it's winter time, super spooky clear water yeah. fish. Uh, and then I would also say, to your point, picking up and recasting is so much easier with the fly rod than it is with a spinning rod. You got to reel the whole thing in For and sure. recast, and it takes a little bit of time to get the the jig head all the way back in, and be able to recast. Whereas with a fly rod, you could still have, you know, twenty feet of line still out there after you've stripped some in and you know water load it and pick it up and throw it again. Um, so I think I think those are probably the two biggest advantages would be quickness as as well as sneakiness. Yeah, definitely the the ability to land something really light. Yeah, I would say, in order of effectiveness, it would be if say you're equally proficient with each, it would be fly rod first, then bait caster. Mm-hmm. Maybe the fly rod and bait caster would would be, you know. Uh, close first because the big advantage of a bait caster or a spinning rod is your ability to turn and throw any direction on the boat very quickly. That's the biggest advantage of a spinning rod or a, or a bait caster. And then the way the bait caster beats the spinning rod big time is how you just reel it up. You don't have to, like, open a bale or anything. You're just pressing that button, resending the cast. You watch guys that bass fish, and they're targeting, let's say, like, isolated pieces of cover. You know, cypress, you're fishing a swamp you're, or, or flooded timber, and you're, you're hitting 
every, you know, piece of cypress knee that's coming out of the water. You know, you can get that cast out there, reel it back in, fire to the next one, fire to the next one. Fire. You watch these bass guys, and they're so quick at, like, fishing a frog in cover or holes and lily pads, which you couldn't do that on a fly rod. You couldn't be quite mm-hmm. that quick on a fly mm-hmm. rod. But a moving target sight fishing, a fly rod's definitely easier. But the bait caster, I'm not good enough with a bait caster to, to think that, like, I would be better with a fly rod. But someone who's really good with a bait caster would, would probably be neck and neck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's the big downfall of the fly rod is, like, changing angles while casting is tough. You know, mm-hmm. like, say you, you had a fish at 12 and all of a sudden there's, like, a pot of fish coming at your – nine o'clock and yeah. you got to turn real quick and throw a cast over. That's where that struggle point. is. But with a spin rod or bait cast, you can turn around and fly, yeah. fling it over there real quickly. Yeah. So it's a good point. And that happens more than you think. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> so often it's like you're, you're looking and casting to the really tough fish and all of a sudden you, and you completely miss the, the obvious right. group right. of fish waking down the, you know, the edge on your left. But, yeah. um, that's one thing I do want to get better at as a bait caster. And the thing about a bait caster is one, you need to practice, but two, it, it, it is, I keep forgetting what I'm going to say. I guess I'm nervous. <laughs> but a, a bait caster, it, it's just quick. It's very quick. But I know the majority of our listeners on here are, are spin rod fishermen. You know, you get down to Texas and the Gulf Coast, there's a lot of guys that saltwater fish with bait casters. Um, and then you, you look in the bass world and, like, rarely are they throwing spinning rods unless they're drop shotting or fishing a Ned rig or something like that. Yeah. So. Is, it, is the ability to skip baits with a bait caster um better than with a spinning rod i would say if you look at guys that fish bait casters a lot they would say yes but for me if i try to skip with a bait caster i, I tend to bird's nest it quite a bit yeah. but man that day that we were filming with jay yeah and he was skipping that doa shrimp in front of the fish as opposed to like a you know just landing it where it needs to be if you're real accurate and you can skip a shrimp out in front of fish that are looking for shrimp you know that it was crazy to watch the shrimp key in on a shrimp sk- or watch the redfish key on a shrimp skipping, you know, three feet out in front of it and yeah. blast up there and eat it yeah. before he even twitched it. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. He was getting the initial movement out of that bait that attracted the fish out of the cast as opposed to yeah. out of the first twitch. I mean, I'd never thought about doing that ever. Yeah. Um, you got to be confident in your casting. Yeah. So just and your play, your, your accuracy. Yeah. A little background on that filming stuff that you did with Jay because I was I was on the camera boat um so I just got to you know watch you guys working magic but um you know so you had schools of like 15 20 redfish coming down the banks we call them wakers uh and they're popping shrimp and you can see them coming from 100 yards away yeah it's awesome um and generally speaking when that happens you know we would either be throwing a fly uh which you would just kind of work normally or we'd be throwing a spinning rod with like a paddle tail or a, yeah. maybe a Ned rig type of deal and really just getting it out in front of them before they get to it and then just start kind of working it as they, as they start closing in on Which it. they'll eat it great that Which way Which they'll as well. eat it great that way. But Jay had this like amazing approach to it where he had a DOA shrimp tied on, which I don't ever really use for redfish that much. Uh, use it all the time, obviously, for speckled trout, but... You know, all these shrimp that the redfish were chasing were popping and jumping and skipping on the water. And I don't know if he's, you know, been. I'm sure he's been in these situations before, but it was like it just came second nature. He would slide his or he would skip his DOA shrimp in front of the redfish. And right when it was done skipping, it would be 
10 inches in front of the lead fish. And it would get smoked. And they, and they would come up and smoke it. And it was, would be skip, 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 bite, hook set. Like, there yeah. was no twitching in between. It was awesome. Yeah, and it was, for the first few times I saw it happen, I was like, man, he just, he likes skipping baits. Like, that's cool. But then I was like, man, um, we were talking about him using the DOA for redfish, and then we kind of got into skipping, and he's like, yeah, I'm really just trying to imitate a shrimp popping on the surface, running away from these redfish. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. you're amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> it was cool. And and it since then has become a bait that I've started fishing for redfish yeah. with as well. That's just such a great little lure for, for everything. It is, yeah. But um, yeah, he was was he he was fishing a bait caster when he's doing. He that, was, right? yeah. yeah, he was. That's the beauty of the bait caster too, is being able to to thumb the spool and slow a bait down right where you want it. And you mm-hmm. can do that, like with a spinning rod. When I cast with a spinning rod, if I'm trying to stop the bait, I won't just flip the bail because that'll create this recoil. So that bait will like you know hit a wall and then have that energy still and that kind of launches it back to you a little bit. But when I cast with a spinning rod, you know, I have my left hand around the line that's going out just above the spool, and I can kind of slowly pinch that and slow it down. So it, it's it's more effort than the, the bait caster. Your thumbs out, you're right there above that spool. It's more effort, but but it is if you're not if you don't have a bait caster, you're not comfortable throwing a bait caster. Being able to slow a bait down like that is is pretty key. Yeah, it was impressive. No, it, it made impressive. me want to buy a bait caster and start using DOS for redfish. <laughs> yeah, for people like us that aren't great with bait casters, that Shimano DC, the one with the computer in it. Yeah, I remember. Where you just can't even that. backlash it. I remember at Intercoast Angler one day, me and Ben and Ryan were standing outside of the shop, and they had just, I think it was right when those Shimano DCs had come out. And we were taking a light frog, no brakes on the reel whatsoever, and throwing it at the wall as hard as we possibly could. So, you know, a normal baitcaster would backlash really hard, you know, because yeah. as soon as it hit the wall, so that line still had so much forward movement, but the bait wasn't going anywhere, so it would just pile up on the spool, but that thing would just stop. And when you cast those things, it's like, it makes this, like, like a, a motorized sound almost. It's crazy. <laughs> That's really cool. It is cool. They're expensive, but they're they're great reels. Definitely good reels to, to practice with if you're yeah. wanting to throw a baitcaster. But what would you say some of the key things, like when you when you get a client on the boat, and you're about to start pulling a bank, and the red fishing is going to be good. What what what's kind of your breakdown? What are you telling people before if they've never sight fished for redfish before? Yeah. What do, what do you what's that spiel that you're giving them? You know, before as they're climbing up on the bow, you're climbing up on the platform. Your little coaching session beforehand. Yeah, um, I think number one is quickness. You know, I'd say it's a little bit different this time of year. So if we're talking fall. Um, water is generally starting to get a little bit clearer, but might not be crystal clear. And so you, and you still might have, you know, redfish that are belly crawling or redfish that are, you know, being wakers and coming down the bank in a group. Um, so you kind of get all different types of shots, but no matter what, I like to tell people to say, or to, or to think as soon as you see a redfish time, the time starts and you got about three to five seconds to try and get your fly in front of him. Yeah. And the other biggest thing is you just got, he's got to see it because a lot of people, you know, when you talk about, we talk about leading fish a lot. Um, And yes, it's incredibly important. You don't want to peg him in the head, but you also don't want to lead him by five feet because, you know, so many times there'll be a redfish waking down the bank and, you know, your, your guy throws a, uh, your fly out there, and it's 
you know, four feet in front of the fish, five feet in front of the fish, in the direction that he's swimming. It's the perfect cast. It's, it is the too perfect far cast. Away. But, you know, so many times that redfish or the will perfect be, angle. The perfect angle. Perfect angle. And and you'll get eats leading a fish four or five feet, but he's got to stay on that same line. Yeah, and we know that doesn't happen in the, Oh, my God. It, I feel like this year especially was this, was really bad for <laughs> just like okay here comes the fish you know and he's doing the he's been doing the same thing for a hundred yards down this bank and then you f- throw a fly out there four feet in front of him and then two feet before he gets to kind of like quote unquote the strike zone he like peels off the bank and i feel like that's them just sensing a slight bit of pressure yeah. you know what i mean because you, you'll see with those wakers where they're just traveling down a straight bank They've gone 100 yards the same way, and you get that fly out there, and it's, like, right on that edge of, like, maybe they're too close. Yeah. And, or uh, that many fish, too, they feel more, and they see more, and, and then all of a sudden they just turn around, and they're they're gone. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why that – I always tell people it's, like, lead the fish and cross his path, but go as close as you possibly can without spooking them. Like, that's kind of yeah. what you want to do. And, and each it, fish is different. Each scenario is different. Sometimes you can land something right on a group of waking fish, yeah. and they'll eat it. But typically you want to give it a little bit of lead. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say quickness is definitely part of the spiel. I would say, um, you know, distance as to how far you're leading them is part of the deal. I'd say ideally you want to land the fly maybe two feet in front of the fish yeah. and a little bit past him if he's coming towards you. Um, and just, it's all, it's all a game of intersection. For right? sure. You just want that fly to intersect him as close as possible without it's spooking him where it wherever it landed, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of kind of my spiel, I guess. Uh, so yeah, some of the things that I I say, like a lot of times, I tell people, imagine that fish is you know driving down a road, and you don't want to just throw it right in front of him in the road because it's already gonna you know be off the road first strip or first twitch. So crossing the road, throwing to the other side of the road, mm-hmm. and then bringing it back across. That so often, like the bait will be right in front of the fish at two feet foot, foot and a half, and the fish is closing in. Twitch, twitch, twitch. They kind of see it for a second and then just leave it alone. But when they when they see it coming from one side and they know it's about to cross right in front of them, that's when you'll see that, you know, kale, yeah. tail kick or two, and they just swim up and yeah. and suck it down. I, I tell people, like, if you make the perfect cast to a, to a fish, it's two or three strips or one or two twitches, and you're going to have a bite. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think your point's really good, too, in that throwing it across the road um, – because a lot of times you'll have a client that will throw the fly and it'll land, you know, two feet in front of the fish, but it's right in front of the fish. Yeah. And you might say, okay, wait a second. He's getting closer. He's getting closer. Okay, now start twitching it. But if he's already six in, if the fly is, let's say, a foot in front of the fish and he's moving towards it, but the fly's been sitting on the bottom for a while and then you twitch it, so a lot of times that'll spook a fish. Yeah. At least it'll spook our fish. That's true. Um, so, c- like you were saying, if you have movement coming in from the side. They see it. They can pick up yeah, on it. Yeah, it's a little less, I'd say, may- maybe a little less um, surprising For to sure. Them. A lot of times if your fly is sitting right in front of them and it hasn't moved in a while, and then yeah. you start stripping it, and it's like, oh, whoa, what's that? Uh, Definitely. You know, thinking like I was a fish. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's two phrases that I say quite often are like, you need to let the fish feel like they found it. Yeah. And like eating it is their idea. Yeah. So like they're like, oh it's shoot, great, like that, that that's a that's a shrimp. I'm gonna eat that thing, you know, not not like, oh what why is that shrimp flying right at my face? Yeah, that's a great so. line. And then I think the other thing too is 
distance, right? Um, because let's be honest. I mean, redfish that are getting down and are looking like they're feeding will pretty much eat any fly that you throw in them as long as they're not spooked for the most part. For sure. Um, so maybe know, not dead of winter fish. Yeah. Not dead know, of winter pressure, fish. cold water fish, but right. But like, you know, this time of year, fall, um, belly crawlers, wakers, I mean, really they'll eat, uh, a, a large amount of different fly variations for sure. And getting it, getting it in the right position is one thing. Um, but getting it to them before they spook is the other thing. And, you know, I, I think that depends on where you are, how pressured fish are, uh, what have you. But I always tell people, you know, as soon as you feel confident that you can get the fly where you want it to be is when you need to start casting. Right. Um, because if we wait until that fish is 10 feet off the boat, more than likely either, you know, you casting and moving the boat is going to spook him or you're going to, you know, he's going to feel that line in the air, which I don't know how they do that sometimes. Yeah. It's like doesn't even make sense. Or the fish me. that's 30, 40 feet away, and you're like, all right, I got a fish right over here, and you kind of point or spin the push pole to point at it, and <laughs> yeah. they blow out. And you're like, yeah. golly. Yeah, exactly. And then sometimes and then the next fish, you catch them 10 feet off the boat. Right, right. Not to say that those, the, I mean, short casts happen probably more so than long casts, um, but just knowing in your mind, like, you know, d- distance isn't the most important thing by any means, um, but just trying to get it to the fish before they can feel the presence of your of your boat is definitely is uh, an important factor. Most definitely, yeah. It's it's uh, you know, let them mess up. You get a cast in before you mess up, and they know you're there. Yeah, is a big part of it. If if clients wanted to book a sight fishing trip with one of us, what would be and they want to practice? What, what would you say your skill set needs to be to be effective on the water? Uh, well, I would say quickness is the first thing. Um. You know, not having to make 10 false casts in order to get it out 30 yards. Right. Um, that's probably the most important. Accuracy would also be important. Um, I, I think, I can't remember where I heard this, but this is a good way of thinking about it, is that there's, there's really three types of fly fishermen. You have, uh, you know, the river trout guys that... Uh, you know, for the most part, are just all about getting the perfect drift. And a lot of times you don't have to cast super far to get the perfect drift, uh, depending on, I guess, what river you're fishing and, and whatnot. But, you know, you're not really sight fishing, so your accuracy doesn't have to be, like, crazy good. Right. And then you got the, the guys up in the northeast that are fishing for, you know, false albacore and stripers and big blue fish, and they're kind of all distance yeah. guys. And a lot of times you're you're throwing into blitzing fish, which you know distance is great, and you know learn, knowing how to double haul in the in ocean wind is great. But really, all you gotta do is land the fly in about you know an area the size of this garage, right? Uh, and then you have sight fishermen or people that fish for for redfish or tarpon or bonefish and whatnot. And that's like probably the most important thing is. Is uh is speed and accuracy. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to land a fly essentially on a dinner plate. Yeah. Um, not always does it have to land on that dinner plate to uh to get eaten by any means, but it it definitely helps. Yeah. So when I when people 
you know, ask, how can I prepare? I'd, I always tell them, go out in your backyard, put a couple blocks of wood out there, face them in different directions, go out on days that are not windy, go out on days that are windy, yeah. and really just kind of feel out, you know, landing the fly on in certain areas and trying to do it as quickly as possible. For sure. Yeah, and I think the importance of that, too, is, like, having that line stripped out beside you and starting from zero. Like, like have the fly in your hand like you're standing on the bow of a boat. Look, there's your there's your, your log you're throwing to. Start your cast, and then, oh, crap, you moved 15 feet to the right and 10 feet further, and then you strip back in, pick up, and then throw that next cast to that. Trying to play those scenarios out. Same with a spinning rod. Same with the bait caster. Sit there, practice flipping to that close log, and then reeling in real quick and throwing it out to the, you know, the, the fish that that fish – so let's say that fit, the close log spooked, and now there's a fish at 40 feet. Like, I need to right. reel in real quick and get a cast out to that fish. Yep. You know, practice casting backhand, practice casting forehand. Go out and practice casting in the wind with a spin rod, with a bait caster, with a fly rod, any of that stuff. Because that's, mm-hmm. you know, so many people just get on. Same with golf. It's like you're not going to go out and play a game of golf once a year and, and smoke it, you know, and or yeah, not smoke right. it, like smoke them, I guess is a fishing term, but, and crush it and, and shoot, you know, par or under par. You know, you got to practice, you got to spend right. time working to get to the goal that you want to get to. So, yeah. And I'd say that just, this is probably fairly obvious, but the other big thing that, you know, most saltwater fly fishermen need to practice and understand is the double haul. Yeah. Right. It's, it's one of the best ways to cut through wind and it's one of the best ways to get your line out there quickly. Definitely. Definitely. You know, speeding that, getting that line speed up and be able to cut through the wind, keep that loop tight is uh is very important so if you were to sight fish with a spin rod mm-hmm. and, a, and an artificial what's your go-to typically Ooh, that's a tough one I what do people need to go to the store and buy for their <laughs> next day of sight fishing um i really like this. let's break it all the way down let's start rod reel um, okay braid or or you know your main line and your and your leader and then sure everything okay so my setup is uh, a medium light seven foot rod uh i use tfo stuff and i I generally use the professional series Mm -hmm. um the the uh, the reel would be i i like those shimano spheres reels a lot yeah um they're you know kind of in budget and they and they're pretty light and they freaking last a long time i've been really surprised um i'll usually have that with some 15 pound power pro okay uh was it power pro super slick super slick's one of them yep yep um i like the green color like the kind of like you know you can see it enough on the water but it blends in yeah exactly tell where that line's at um and then i would tie on about three feet of uh 15 pound fluorocarbon on the end of that braid with a double uni nut and if i'm sight fishing I'm I'm a big fan of jerk shads with sight fishing. Uh, probably you know a quarter ounce jig head. It just kind of depends on how deep you're fishing, but a quarter ounce jig head with like a you know a Z-Man jerk shad and uh, color just kind of depending on what kind of water you're fishing. Um, but I would say my all-time favorite is those uh, those what are they? Uh, the Ned rig like mushroom. A little mushroom head, like a net head. Yeah, like a net head. Um, Specific color to your net head or just? No, just like they make a dark green one yeah. that I usually use. And then just some sort of creature bait. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, you know, we you, you kind of turned me onto that 
I think like two years ago or three years ago, one winter, when there was a school that hadn't moved for like three months. Yeah. And it got to the point where they had gotten fish so much that they wouldn't eat anything <laughs> other, other than live bait. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember, you know, who turned you on to it, but we started throwing those creature baits on those net heads, and oh, my goodness. Yeah. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, you know, obviously they work. Well, I'm going to start, you know, using them summer, spring, For sure. fall, and, man, they they just work great. They do work really, really it's, well. To me, they kind of, those creature baits don't really look like, you know, anything in particular, which kind of goes back to, like, some of the redfish flies that just look like look like marsh critters. Yeah. And just they have a lot of movement, and redfish, you know, they don't, something doesn't need to look just like a mud minnow or right. just like a shrimp in order for them to eat. It's just got to have movement and, you know, look pretty good in the water. For sure. For sure. <laughs> Pick it up. Just let them feel like it's their idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I would say mine would be uh, like a 316th ounce Texas eye, right? That's the right way, yeah. right? Texas eye. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm so bad with weights. I know I've said that a million times on this podcast. I've got them all in my box, and I look at it. I'm like, this is the weight that I want. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm like, I don't really – I think it's a 316 ounce. I'm with you. Um, but 316 ounce Texas Eye with either a, a red bone diesel minnow, 4-inch, mm-hmm. or a Palmetto Bugs creature bait, or, yeah. or a Ned Rig. And I like the Ned, I like the Ned Rigs on the, uh, the Finesse Eye, the smaller Finesse Eye, which yeah. is a Texas Eye. It's much smaller, and and I just like the the little bit more play you get, a little bit more action you get um, with that. Almost sits like it looks like that bait's kind of tailing, if you will, like mm-hmm. that angle that it sits on the water, where it's like head is down, but it's still kind of angled up a little bit. Yeah. So that's a great bait, and I would say like a seven foot medium light, um, Fenwick World Class is what I've got right now. Not seven six, probably a seven foot or seven two. Yeah, you said seven foot. Seven foot. Okay, I thought I said seven six. Which I do like a seven six for fishing a DOA for trout, but mm-hmm. um, be able to almost mend a little bit like a fly rod in, in the river. But um, yeah. with fifteen pound braid and fifteen to twenty pound fluorocarbon leader, if I'm fishing around a bunch of cover oysters or something like that, I'll fish twenty twenty five. Mm-hmm. But um, that that smaller diameter braid allows you to just cast really quick and easy and get it out yeah. there. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I think that's it, guys. That is our sight fishing, you know, 101. I mean, more so kind of chatting about sight fishing than really dialing y'all in on, on specifics. But, I th- you know, we used to do, and we still are going to do, a lot of, like, very teaching-based and specifically, you know, talking about how, where, when podcast, but uh, a lot more, you know, storytelling and stuff like that, too, to come. So hopefully y'all are excited that Eastern Current's back up and going. Cameron, is there anything y'all wanna, you want to leave everybody with? Something really thoughtful and motivating. <laughs> oh, man. Um, get out there and practice your casts. Practice your casts. <laughs> before cast. you go fly fishing. <laughs> or spend fishing. Or, or any, spend anything. Fishing. Practice, yeah. Yeah. I'd, Sight fishing in general. It's There's nothing worse than, you know, when you take somebody and uh, you can tell that they, you know, have never practiced. And, you know, they get shots. And, you know, it's a, you, know you spend a good amount of money on a, on a fishing trip. And so I would just do your, you know, anyone that's planning on taking a fly fishing trip or, you know, a sight fishing trip in general, it, you would be doing yourself a disservice to, to not practice yeah, just a little bit. Definitely. Um, definitely. It, it's, it's 
very helpful to practice in anything in your life. Yeah, you I mean, it'll that. just help you make it'll help make you more successful in your fishing adventure. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, if y'all have not before, leave a uh, a review or rate our podcast both on Spotify and on iTunes. If you listen on Spotify. Give us a rating on there, five star, hopefully, and um, same on iTunes. It just really, really helps with the algorithm there um, to push our podcast. As when people search, you know, saltwater fishing or inshore fishing or fly fishing, you know, so if you could leave us a, a rating, that would be incredible, and we'd appreciate it a bunch. But we will see y'all next week here on Eastern Current. Goodbye. <laughs>